Hey, let's rise up. Last week was like slim pickings, and now there's no snow on the ground. Everybody's back at church. I love it. We've got a great song about singing about our gratefulness. Here we go. This is the day that you have made. Whatever comes, I won't complain. My hope is in your name. Now your joy awaits my praise. Yeah.
continue to offer God our gratefulness and declare that he's alive in us and he's doing something in us every day, gang. Great day to come and be encouraged and be reminded that God's so good. Glad you're here. My past is erased because of the cross. Hope writes my future because of your love. You have restored me for your glory, Lord. Oh! 
friends, loved ones, a whole community that's just really been, you know, overwhelmed with an incredible amount of grief and loss. And so we want to pray for them as well this day. So would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we gather in this place to um, pray with one heart, with one voice, and proclaim together that you are God, and that your name is great, your glory is great, and your heart is kind. And God, thank you that that kindness extends to every one of us here um, in this room, whether we're uh, keenly aware of it or whether we feel incredibly distant or maybe even unworthy, Lord, of that love. Show us anew and afresh by your Holy Spirit how great your love is for us. And as Billy prayed, Lord, we come as people who um, fail you, who hurt others, and in that place of mm, needing forgiveness, you're there. So thank you for that. And God, we come to worship you through our songs, through our giving, and we want to do that because you are worthy and we are grateful. Lord, together we pray for the people of Parkland, Florida, for students, faculty, families impacted by the shooting there, especially for those uh, who lost loved ones, um, 17 and all, unbelievable. God, would you minister deeply to their spirit? Would you provide the peace that passes all understanding, the scriptures say? Um, we mourn with those who mourn, Lord, and pray that you would provide a ray of hope in the midst of deep darkness. And Father, even as we pray that, um, we recognize there, there may be people just here right now who are going through their own deep, dark valley. Would you shine light into their life and give them the hope that is found in our risen Savior, Jesus? We pray all this in his name. Amen. Hey, so we're going to uh, continue in worship. We're going to sing a song for you. Uh, it's a feature song. Uh, we'll teach it to you. And then at the end of the sermon, we'll all sing it together and go nuts and sing about how good God is to us. And, uh, but this song, there's a, there's a lyric in it. It says, uh, and, they, and it runs by really quickly, and it says uh, that you leave the 99. And I thought, well, maybe even the average Christian needs to be reminded of uh, the story of what Jesus was telling in the uh, book of Luke. Luke 15, 4, it says this. It says, suppose one of you, uh, he's talking to uh, like a shepherd, suppose one of you shepherds has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country? and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. That's a reckless love that God has for us. He'll leave 99 and come after the one. And uh, you've done your job in showing up here today, which is wonderful. And uh, just know that God runs after your heart and runs after your life. And every single one of you matter in here. If one were to walk away today, uh, running away from God, he would still have the heart that desires to run after you and, uh, and search you and find you. And so uh, there's a song that we're going to sing, uh, like I said, it's called Reckless Love. It's, it's number one, and I think number one and two on the CCLI worship charts right now. It's a beautiful song. Made me think about my mother. Uh, she's been gone for a long time. Uh, on her tombstone, we wrote, uh, love is an action word. 
And I thought, my goodness, um, the biggest action that God has uh, done and made uh, is through his son Jesus and how he has made it so that we could have life and life eternal. So what a great reminder to come to church and be reminded of that today, friends. Worship with us as you listen. Take us in, Mel. Coming after me. There's 
It's been a great morning together. I want to welcome those of you worshiping at John Glenn High School with us, the Hopevale Bay City. Great to be here with you and uh, great to celebrate together. So this past week, last Wednesday was what? Valentine's Day. Guys, how'd you do? Were you clutch? Did you choke? Or did you completely space out, right? A lot of pressure on us guys for Valentine's Day, isn't there? As a matter of fact, I just read this this past week, that 53% of women surveyed would break up with their significant other if they didn't receive a gift on Valentine's Day. 53%, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? Which means with a group this size, some of you guys are either in the doghouse or on the market, right? Yeah, yeah. Now beyond that, I read some other interesting facts about Valentine's Day, so I put together a little quiz I want us to take about gift giving on Valentine's Day. All right, a little quiz, let's see how you do. Here's the first question, besides a card, which one of these is the most common gift given on Valentine's Day? A, candy, uh, B, flowers, C, jewelry, or D, dining out, you know, going out for a meal. What do you think? 
The answer is A, candy, 47 and a half percent the clear winner. Flowers dining out kind of even around 34 percent and jewelry comes in at 17 percent. Which, by the way, that's why I'm a big fan of the ring pop, because you get credit for candy and jewelry, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, here's the second. How much does the average person spend on Valentine's Day presents? Four choices, uh, under 50, 50 to 99, 100 to 149, that's C, and over 150. Mm, hard, right? What'd you learn in school? When in doubt, choose C. C, yes. But just barely, look at that amount. The average amount spent on Valentine's Day presents is $147, 147. Now what that number doesn't tell you is that there's a difference between what men spend and what women spend, right? No, the data says that on average men spend $197, women spend $100. 197 versus 100. Now I'm not saying that's a huge difference, but if you chart it out on a bar graph, it looks something like this, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, my proportions might be off a little, but you get the picture, right? Okay. One more. I think this is the most interesting one. Which age group spends the most on Valentine's Day? A, 18 to 24. B, 25 to 34. C, 35 to 54, D, over 55. What's your guess? Yeah, well, so here's the answer. It's B, 25 to 34, $234. After that, it drops off a little bit. A and C are kind of similar, right? 18 to 24 at 148. C, 35 to 54 at 156. And D, the over 55 crowd? $95. So, uh, over 55 crowd here, you got to step up your game, right? A <laughs> little disappointed in you. On the other hand, I got to say personally, I'm a little encouraged because guess which age group I'm about to go into next year, right? Yeah, cha-ching, baby. The $95 group, yes. That's my future, so... Well, consider yourself informed, because now you've got another 361 days to get your act together for next year, right? Although we all know that some of you are going to wait till the last minute anyways, right? Well, seriously, though, Valentine's Day in our culture is a big deal, right? It's a big deal. And why? Because love is a big deal. It's a big deal that as people created in the image of God, every one of us is wired to love and to be loved to love and to be loved. Right? The need for love is interwoven into the very fabric of our being. And that our capacity for love is what separates us from every other creature on the face of this planet. Now, many centuries ago, Greek philosophers used to talk about different kinds of love. And I think we can even relate to these different kinds of love today. First, there was philos love. Philos love, the most general type of love. We define it as friendship love or companionship, right? Two-way aspect of love where there's giving and receiving, where we care for, where we respect other people. We would extend kindness, compassion, philos love. 
Second, there was storge love. Storge, it's a type of family love, right? The affectionate bond that a parent shares with their child or siblings, brothers, sisters together. And you see it in the Bible with the patriarch Jacob and the love he had for his sons, or with the two sisters, Mary and Martha, who felt deeply love when their brother Lazarus passed away, only to be later raised by Jesus. Third, there was eros love. This is romantic love, passionate love, physical attraction, sensuality, right? This is the kind of love between a man and a woman that we celebrate on Valentine's Day. And it's the kind of love that many of us have just assumed is the greatest and most fulfilling love around. Just watch a movie. Just listen to a song. Just read a poem. Just watch The Bachelor, right? And we would assume that all the joys and heartaches that come with eros love must mean it's the greatest. Now, certainly eros love in the right context and with the proper perspective can be this tremendous gift from God. It really can, right? And yet eros love, because of its volatile nature, it can so easily go off the rails and it can turn incredibly self-focused, right? Where my love for you in this relationship is what? It's measured by how much you make me happy. Eros love. And then finally, there was agape love. Agape love, this is considered to be the highest and noblest form of love. Why? Because it's sacrificial. It's unconditional, where the giving out of agape love isn't dependent on the other person's response. It isn't dependent on what they do for me. It isn't dependent on whether or not they make me happy. No, agape love only desires the good of the one being loved, and that is enough. Philos love, storge love, eros love, agape love, and all these different kinds of loves are indeed gifts from God that he gives to us to enjoy and experience as people. But it's only this last kind of love, right? Agape love that gets to the heart of Christianity. That explains why Jesus came to this earth and died in our place. Sacrificial, unconditional agape love. Look at how the Apostle Paul talks about this kind of agape love in the New Testament book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. He writes, you see, just at the right time when we, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still powerless, while we were still incapable of paying off the infinitely high moral debt we've incurred by sinning against a holy God throughout our lifetime, why we were still in a state of helpless spiritual bankruptcy, Jesus Christ died for us. He was unjustly crucified on a cross for ungodly, imperfect people like you and me. Verse 7, very rarely, Paul goes on to say, will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly Dear to die. What's Paul saying here? Well, he's trying to give verse 6 some context to what we know about our own lives, right, when it comes to sacrificial and unconditional love. Sure, Paul says, you know, you might be able to think of a few examples of selfless acts and heroic deeds where someone lays down their life for another person. But even in those situations, you know, there's something quote-unquote deserving about that person. It's the secret service that takes the bullet for the president. It's a parent who rescues their child giving up their own life. It's rare, but it happens. That's what we know from our own experiences, but Paul goes on to describe a love that's on a whole new and higher and greater level, verse 8. But God, 
You know those examples, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died. Now, guess which Greek word Paul uses here for love? Agape. Agape. That even though we were still sinful, selfish, rebellious towards him, God loved us anyways. He loved us anyways, and he put that love into action by giving up his one and only son, Jesus, to die in our place. Why? So we could be forgiven, so that we can be reconciled back to him. See, God did not love us because of who we are and what we've done. No, God loved us in spite of who we are and what we've done, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the beauty of agape love. That's the mystery of the greatest news ever, you know, and I just long I long for every person within the sound of my voice to know that love personally through wholehearted faith and absolute trust in Jesus Christ. Here at Hopewell, we want you to know Jesus personally and the love that he has for you. We do to experience this incredible supernatural life-changing love. Ultimately, how does that happen? It's, It's a step of faith, it's an act of surrender between you and God, right? No one else can make that kind of commitment decision for you. But here at Hope L, we'd love to help you take that step of faith, right? Talk to us after the service, during the week. Drop us a note, send us an email, right? We're here to tell you that his love has changed our lives. And we know that his love can do the same for you. That's God's agape love, the power of his agape love. Well, last week, we began a new series called DNA. DNA, and DNA in a nutshell, it's a series about our five defining values and what makes Hopewell, Hopewell. Now, when we talk about our values, we're talking about what's most important to us as a church and how we approach life and ministry, right? That our values touch on things like how we conduct ourselves, how we treat others, how we function as a church family, and how we live out our faith beyond the four walls of our church. This is Hopevale DNA. And so last week, I introduced these five defining values for us as a church. Focus faith, authentic love, mutual respect, shared ministry, and servant leadership. And so in this series, we're going to walk through these one by one. We'll talk about what they are, what they mean, why they matter, and how we do them. And so last week, quickly as a review, we began this series by looking at this first one, focused faith. That focused faith means keeping the main thing the main thing. It also means then that we as a church are not going to major on the minors. We're not, we're not going to let secondary issues distract us from what matters most. And what is it that should matter most to us as a church? Well, we think it's important that we find unity on these three core beliefs of Christianity. These three core beliefs, and they are that the Bible is the only word of God, that the Bible is our final authority for faith and practice, that Jesus is the only son of God, that Jesus of Nazareth, fully God, fully man, uniquely qualified to be our savior, and that his gospel is the only way to God, and that we experience salvation. We receive forgiveness by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That these core beliefs are our die-fors and that we always need to keep these 
as the main thing here at Hopevale. Now, beyond that, it's okay. It's okay that we're not going to see eye to eye on every possible belief and issue because Jesus calls his church to unity, not uniformity. Unity, not uniformity, you know, where we all look the same, act the same, talk the same, dress the same, and believe the same about everything. No. Actually, like I said last week, Jesus shines the brightest through his church when we can love each other despite our differences. And so focus faith as we live it out in the church means this, right? We talked about this, that in essentials, we have unity. In non-essentials, there's liberty, and in all things, charity. Complete agreement on the die-fors, right, on the essentials, while at the same time giving each other freedom to believe and to live out our faith differently, right, when it comes to secondary matters. Because in all things, we're called to charity, we're called to love. We're called to do what Jesus said is the greatest commandment to love the God above us, to love the people around us with everything we've got, right? Love. This is Hopevale DNA. And so for the rest of today then, let's move on and talk about the second of our five essential values, authentic love. Authentic. Now, I've talked already a lot about love in this message, but what do I mean when I say that our love should be authentic? Well, here's the bottom line. Authentic love means we practice what we preach and put feet to our faith. We practice what we preach and put feet to our faith. That just as we saw in Romans chapter 5, that as God demonstrated his sacrificial agape love by giving us Jesus, so too should we be people who put our love into action. Into action. In other words, we don't just want to talk the talk, we also want to walk the walk. We want our love for God, we want our love for each other in the church, and we want our love for other people beyond the four walls of our church. We want that love to be authentic. Not necessarily perfect, because none of us are going to nail that this side of heaven, right? But we want a love that is real, that is genuine, that is heartfelt, a love that we can live out through our actions. Authentic love means we practice what we preach, and put feet to our faith. Now, examples of authentic love are found throughout the pages of Scripture, both Old and New Testament. I think of the words of the prophet Micah from the Old Testament who challenged God's people back then to move beyond a faith that just is interested in checking off a bunch of religious boxes, right? Today, I did this, 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 and this, and I also didn't do that, 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 and that. I'm going to go to bed, wake up, and mindlessly go through the same motions all over again, right? And Micah said, no, no, that's not what God wants from you. You know, you know what he wants? He wants you to live justly. He wants you to love mercy. He wants you to walk humbly with him. That's what God wants from us. And that's just one example of what authentic love looks like. But here's another one I want us to look at. And to be honest, as I read this passage recently, it it, it rocked my world incredibly challenging in a good way, but a hard way, and I wouldn't be surprised if it does the same for you. So the passage is found in the New Testament book of 1 John. 1 John, now a couple weeks ago, these last couple weeks, we've looked in the Gospel of John. Okay, so it's the same author, different books. The Gospel of John is a biography of Jesus, whereas 1 John is a letter that John, a church leader, writes to a bunch of Christians on what we should believe and how we should 
behave as followers of Jesus. And so in 1 John, particularly, he spends a lot of time talking about our love for God and our love for people in very practical ways. And so we get to chapter 3 of 1 John, and he writes this in verse 16. And this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we, in turn, ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is how we know what love is. Jesus sent us a card, bought us some candy, gave us some flowers, right? Is that what it says here? No. What does it say? It says he laid down his life for us. And by the way, guess which Greek word John uses here? Agape. This is how much Jesus loved us, John says. So love one another in that same way. Don't just say it, show it. This is how we know what love is, John says, and he goes on to give us a specific example of what that might look like. Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Now talk about getting a little too close for comfort, right? And don't skip over the fine details here. See, John isn't challenging our love for God. What is he challenging? He's challenging whether or not God's love is in us at all about whether we have truly experienced the life-changing, transformational love of Jesus Christ. Because if we have, John implies, then we'd be moved by that person's situation and we would do what we can to help minister to that need, in this case, a material one. See, feel, act, love. And John sums it up this way. This is the verse I wanted you to see, verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. Now, words of love aren't bad. Words of love aren't wrong, but words of love alone aren't enough. They're not enough. No, authentic love means action, and in the spirit of agape love, it's action with no strings attached, no demands. No, you better do this for me in return. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action And in truth, authentic love doesn't just talk the talk, it walks the walk. And as we think about all this, I can't help but, you know, be nudged by what I think is one of the biggest problems that plagues the Christian church, and that's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, people who say one thing but do another, people who appear to love with their words but don't follow up with their actions, right? Hypocrisy. I mean, think of a word that's probably the polar opposite of authenticity, and you'd come up with what? Hypocrisy, right? So you have pastors who are preaching about morality from the pulpit, but then carrying on with indiscretions in private. Or you have church leaders putting money in the plate on Sundays, but then conducting their businesses unethically on Monday. It's the woman who tells her friend that she needs Jesus, but then turns around and gossips about her behind her back. And as this behavior goes on and on with Christians, we we can't understand why those outside the church don't think the good news is all that good. When hypocrisy trumps authenticity, the cause of Christ and the beauty of his gospel suffer. They suffer. Now, to be fair, the problem of religious hypocrisy isn't just limited to our day and age. No, Jesus confronts the exact same thing 2,000 years ago. And he's passionate about it. Why? Because he saw how harmful it was that it put up barriers for those who generally want to seek God. 
And so in Matthew chapter 23, he begins with these words. Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the the rulers of that day, they sit in Moses' seat, these places of authority, right? So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, right? That's what the system says. But Jesus says, no. But do not do what they do. Why? For they do not practice what they preach. Don't use them as your models, your role models, your examples. Right? They're the ones who set the rule. They're the ones telling you what you need to do to please God. That's the system. But you gotta be, you, you, you got to be crazy to follow them. Don't do it. Because they don't do what they say. They don't practice what they preach. So yes, Jesus came to die for his sins. But you know what? He also came to expose a broken religion. A religion that was filled with hypocrisy and lacked authentic love. And so we read these words centuries later. And they call us to be different than that, to be better than that. That in a world that overpromises and underdelivers, in a world that's filled with religious folks who are only in it for themselves, in a world where hurting and disillusioned, disillusioned people are searching for some kind of hope, some kind of answer, God calls us to be the kind of church that practices what we preach, that loves authentically. And so what does that look like for us? If authentic love is one of our essential values as a church, what do we need to do about it? Well, as I begin to wind down, I want us to see that there are two ideas that really tie together. And those ideas are trusting God and loving people. Trusting God, loving people. See, I think we all have these obstacles, these barriers, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that hold us back from loving others authentically. That if we take the risks that if we make the choice to step out in love, that we're going to have to pay for it one way or another, right? The risk of love, we'll pay for it with emotional pain. We'll pay for it with personal rejection. We'll pay for it with financial loss, you name it. That somehow if we take the risk, we're going to lose out in the end. That's our fear. But we need to be able to take God at his word, that if he commands us to love authentically, then he's not going to leave us high and dry, right? That there's some kind of blessing waiting for us when we choose to love. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about first. We can love in sacrificial ways because God provides for our needs. We can love in sacrificial ways because God provides for our needs. So when we read 1 John 3, 17 earlier, Right, that verse that says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? I think a lot of us felt the tension of that situation. I know I did, and you did too because we've been there before, right? You see a need, you want to help, but you're afraid. You're afraid that if I give this money away to help the other person, then there's going to be less for me. There's going to be less for me. That's our fear, and so we need to trust. God, that when we are open-handed, that when we are generous when it comes to meeting needs, as, a, as opposed to being, what, tight-fisted and stingy, that God will provide. I can tell you from experience that there's this kind of supernatural financial math that takes place when we're willing to give and share, that when God moves us to respond to a need, he blesses us, and he provides for us in unexpected ways. Now, I'm not talking about some kind of one-for-one transaction, right, where God is this vending machine for blessings, right? But you need to know that when you give away your resources in the name of authentic love, God will take care of you. 
He'll take care of you. And when I say resources, I'm not just limiting that to money and material things. No, I'm talking about other resources we have, like our time, like our energy. You know, maybe the best gift you can give in the name of authentic love this week is to sit with someone in the hospital. Or maybe it's to visit with someone over coffee and just let them share the burdens they're carrying, right? And so this week, I want you to open your heart, open your eyes, open your hands when God nudges you to respond to a need. It may be someone in your life already that you know of and the need they have, or it may be someone that God unexpectedly brings across your path. And when that moment happens, step out in faith. Love authentically in a practical way because God will provide for your need. He's not going to leave you high and dry. Second, we can love without seeking credit because God sees and honors what we do. God sees and honors what we do. Now, if I can just be honest with you for a second, and kind of ugly too, <laughs> there's nothing worse than when you do something nice for someone else, but nobody knows you did it. And I don't feel that way all the time, but in my less than best moments, it's something I'm not proud of. And maybe you feel the same way. We want the credit, we want the glory, we want the spotlight, we want the recognition. Look at me, look at what I did. Aren't I a wonderful person? Like I said, it's ugly when you say it out loud like that, but if you and I are gonna love authentically, then this is something we need to overcome, right? This need for recognition. Jesus actually talks about this too. He condemns religious leaders who did their good deeds to be seen and honored by others, and he says do the opposite. Pray in secret. Give in secret. Do it on the down low because the nature of love is not boastful. But then he also adds that when you love authentically like this, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your father will reward you. I can't tell you exactly what that reward looks like or when it's going to come, but you need to know that it's true, it's real, and it's more than worth it. You know, I got to tell you that in this day and age of unprecedented social media, there's such a temptation for us to want to be noticed for every little thing we do, right? All this posturing, all this positioning to present ourselves in the best light possible so people will like us. Now, don't get me wrong, social media in and of itself, nothing wrong with that, right? But there's a different it's difference between, you know, sharing your story versus shining the spotlight on yourself. One Sunday, two years ago, back in February 2016, we walked through a series called Love Your Neighbor as a Church, and on, on that Sunday I'm thinking about, we gave everyone who attended that day $20. $20, sorry, it's not happening today, but that day we gave everyone $20 to turn around and bless someone in need in the name of Jesus. Now, just look around you and do the math. I mean, this is a huge project. And shortly after, people caught wind of it. We were contacted by several news media outlets who wanted to do a story, but we respectfully declined the request. Why? Because it wasn't about drawing attention to ourselves. No, it was about loving our neighbor right? authentically. That trusting God, he's the one that we're doing it for. We can love authentically without seeking credit. Why? Because God sees, he honors what we do. And then third, we can love without strings attached because God changes hearts. God, not us, God changes hearts. Let's face it, there are times when we do nice things for other people because we want them to do something for us in return. 
In other words, we attach strings. We attach unspoken conditions that are tied to our loving acts. You know, one particular string looks like this. I'll do this for you, but you better change for me. I'm going to do this nice thing for you, but you better change for me. So you give money to that relative who's struggling with addiction, but nothing happens in their life and it gets you mad. Or you buy a new phone for your teenager because you want them to like you more, but they just, you know, rebuff you even further and you can't understand why. That's not authentic love, that's manipulation. No, don't get me wrong, when you extend selfless, sacrificial, and unconditional love to someone else, it's okay to hope and to pray that God's going to use that to impact their lives. That's what we believe, right? But there is a difference between hoping for change versus demanding a response. Authentic love hopes for change. Manipulative love demands a response. No, we love because that's what God calls us to do, and we trust in the power of his agape love, which is able to soften the hardest of hearts and change a life. And so we'll do the loving and we'll trust God to do the changing. We can love without strings attached because God changes hearts. He can and he will. And so this week, I want to encourage you, which of these three connections between trusting God and loving people do you need to work on? Does it have to do with provision? Does it have to do with recognition? Does it have to do with change and transformation with the people around you? Whatever it is, give it over to God. Step out in faith and love authentically. And as I close, one final thought I want to leave you, it's this, that we're able to love others authentically because God loves us recklessly. We're able to love others authentically because God loves us recklessly. See, here's the bottom line with authentic love. You can't give what you don't got, okay? Terrible English, I know, but incredibly, you can't give what you don't got. If the well of your heart is empty of love, then there's nothing there for you to draw from. But if the well of your heart is full to overflowing with the sacrificial, unconditional, reckless, agape love of God, then you're going to be able to love others in ways that you can never possibly imagine. And why does that happen? You're just simply expressing to others the love you've experienced from God. We are able to love others authentically because God loves us recklessly. You heard that song, right? Reckless love earlier in the service, and we're going to close with that in a little bit after I pray. But before I do, I just want to read these words, read these lyrics to you. I I want to read them over you because I think some of you today need to know in a very real, very, very spiritual, supernatural way how much God loves you. God, there's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up. You're coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down. You're coming after me. God's love for you is a passionate love. It's a pursuing love. God's love for you is an overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. He loves you that much, and you need to know that deep down in your heart of hearts. God loves you like this, with a reckless love. And let's pray together. God, we're in this place. We're worshiping you. And you're speaking to us. I know you are. Maybe that 
probably not with an audible voice, but with a stirring of the soul. You're talking to us about love, about being loved by you, about you, Jesus, shining the light in the dark places of our heart and driving out the lies, the defensiveness, the selfishness, all of it, and changing us from the inside out. And that because you love us recklessly, we can love others authentically. God, we don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to attach strings or place demands on how we love people, but we want to love others the way you love us with this unconditional, sacrificial, reckless, agape love that is so powerful, that is so transformational, it can melt the hardest of hearts. We pray especially for those who need to experience that today, who feel lonely, who feel hopeless, who feel far from you. Draw them by your sweet spirit to the inexhaustible well of your reckless love. And for all of us, God, we want to be filled up anew and afresh. Loving you, loving others, because you, Jesus, have first loved us. And we pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Let's rise up. so good to me Before I took a breath You breathed your life in me And you have been so, so kind to me Oh, the overwhelming never-ending reckless love Still you give yourself away Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God your fool, still your love for me. You have been so, so good to me. I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the 
mountain you won't climb, I'm coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb, I'm coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down. times that God gives us just these incredible moments of worship, and I think we've just been through one of those. Amen. Amen. That's the love of God for you. Next week, we're going to continue our DNA series. We're going to talk about the value of mutual respect. We'll also share communion together as a church family, but as you go from here, may the Lord pour out his overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love upon your life. God bless you.